What is up? It's the rant. My name is Jeff Radcliffe. It is Tuesday, July 13th. It's Jets Day, baby. And you know what? I'm not joking. I'm actually excited about this one because it's a really interesting team. I don't know how good they're going to be in year one of the Robert Sala regime, but man, they got some interesting pieces in place. So let's break down how everything looks for this squad for fantasy purposes. Before I get to that, remember, there's still that contest going on for this podcast. It's really simple to enter it. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. Give it a rating and leave your Twitter handle in the review. You're entered in to win. We're going to pick a winner here since we're about mid-July. That was the plan all along. Uh, in the next few days, and by the way, I want to rip through the uh, remaining shows here with all these team previews because I don't want to sell you short. Uh, so we have, by my account here, uh, after this, the Eagles, the Steelers, the Seahawks. That will take us up through the end of the week. And then over the weekend, I'm going to do some pods as well. Uh, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, and then we'll wrap this up next week. So then we can start diving into some fun topics, tiers, draft strategy, players to to draft, my draft day checklist, players to avoid at ADP. All that fun stuff is coming up because it's effing fantasy football draft season. So I want to knock these out. Uh, Don't expect podcasts on the weekends very often. Okay, (laughs) just going to throw that expectation out there right now, but I want to rip through these. So Uh, Just a little schedule update there. Let's dive into the Jets, though. Now, as I mentioned, Robert Sala takes over after Adam Gase, the the punchline to many a joke out there, uh, and and some of them very unfunny jokes, uh, he fell flat on his face. Now, I don't want to knock Adam Gase. I'm not in the business of doing that. He wasn't good for fantasy purposes. We all know that. I've heard from people behind the scenes that he's a really good guy. And very well-liked by people in football circles. Obviously, that's why he had two cracks at head coaching jobs, despite not really doing much of anything in either job. But regardless, is this going to be better? Well, here's what we know. This regime is coming in. Robert Sala is a defensive-minded head coach, so he's not going to do anything on the offensive side of the ball. But he brought with him a Lafleur, right? Matt Lafleur's brother, Mike, will be calling the shots here as the offensive coordinator. And he's a disciple of the Shanahan tree, having come over from San Francisco. So we can expect a lot of similar things. Of course, he'll probably put his own stamp on this offense, but a lot of similar things to what we see in San Francisco. So you're talking like, you know, a lot of zone concepts in the run game, which as we saw, I mean, how many times in San Francisco do we see whoever, didn't matter who was carrying the football, rip off long runs. 15-plus yard runs left and right. You know, there's an old adage, old saying in fantasy football, if you go back two decades ago, that I could run for 1,000 yards behind the Broncos' offensive line. Well, was it the offensive line or was it a combination of the offensive line and the scheme? Because that scheme now, in that was, of course, Mike Shanahan. That scheme now with Kyle Shanahan looks pretty good. Now, will LaFleur be able to execute it the same way? Time will tell, but they have some interesting pieces along the offensive line, obviously addressing the position this year, getting Mekhi Becton last year, so it could be interesting. Now, running the football, I'm going to get to that in a minute with Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, etc., but I want to talk about the number two overall pick to kick things off here because Zach Wilson is a player who 
hey, if we said, it, you know, at the draft in 2019, we say, hey, Zach Wilson's going to be the number two overall pick next year. People have been like, what the F are you smoking? The kid from BYU? Really? Oh, well, he, he showed, really. After last year, it was a special season where not only did he flash the ability to make big boy throws, off-platform throws, throws with zip that, you know, normal human beings can't make. You see the guys like Mahomes, like Rodgers, who can make these types of throws, but there's a lot of NFL quarterbacks who can't make those throws, and he makes them look pretty easy. You have that, you have running ability with Zach Wilson as well. So there is a lot of appeal. Also, unlike Trey Lance, where we don't know if Trey Lance is going to be under center in week one, week two, week three, whatever, Justin Fields, who we certainly don't expect to be under center in week one with Andy Dalton there. Not that he'll hold that job for very long, but he will start the season out. Even even Trevor Lawrence a little banged up heading into the season. Mac Jones won't be under center to start the season very likely. Zach Wilson will be. He has no competition. Like, literally none. Here, as you're listening to this podcast, see if you can get this. Who's the backup quarterback to Zach Wilson right now? You got it? Because last year, remember, their backup was Joe Flacco. You ready for this? Here's the answer. James Morgan. And if you said who, I wouldn't blame you. He has no competition for any. He's got the longest leash possible. And they're going to let him, you know, give him every opportunity to learn and to succeed in his rookie year. Now, unlike somebody like Justin Herbert last year, though, He doesn't quite have the same fleet of receivers. Justin Herbert had Keenan Allen automatic. He had, obviously, Mike Williams didn't necessarily riff very well with him, but he had some downfield guys, Guyton. He had Hunter Henry. Here we don't quite have the same cast. It's not terrible. Like, it's not the Lions, but it's not a great cast either. Still... I think Wilson is very much in play as a third quarterback in two quarterback leagues taking a shot on his upside. I actually just did that. If you've seen this Scott Fishbowl draft that's going on, all the different leagues out there, I took Zach Wilson as my third quarterback in that league, and I'm happy to do that. I don't want him as my second quarterback in a two-quarterback league. It's a little too risky, or a super flex league, a little too risky for me, but I am intrigued. I still think the overall upside is is lower than somebody like Trey Lance, lower than somebody like Justin Fields, if you're looking at it from a long-term standpoint, but he's still really intriguing. So let's talk about these wide receivers, right? It's an interesting group of wide receivers. You have some young talent, some veteran talent. So let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to dive into the New York Jets wide receiver core. So heading out of last year, the Jets had, well, they had a lot of work to do. And and part of that was certainly addressing this wide receiver group. You had Brashad Perryman, who outside of a you know essentially one month in his career has been a perennial disappointment. And that was true last year as well. There was some upside that we thought might exist, and yeah, it didn't really exist. So you bring in Corey Davis, who also a disappointment, but I would say that Davis, especially 2019, showed he's not a bust. Maybe he wasn't worth a first-round pick, but he's not a a true bust. So I think he can slide right in and be the number one wideout here, though not a target monster. For me, a target monster is a guy who sees 8, 9, 10 targets a game. 
I don't think we're quite going to see that. I have him at 102 targets, 65 catches for 900 yards, just four touchdowns. We don't quite know what Wilson's touchdown efficiency is going to be in year one. That's not good enough for anything more than wide receiver four territory, but it is top 50. He comes in 44 because the targets are going to be there. Now, the big question that we have is after that, how do the targets get distributed? How much does Keelan Cole use? Keelan Cole is one of those guys who coaches love him, you know, and he just, he'll show up and he'll start seeing targets. But Keelan Cole, a, a slot receiver, Jamison Crowder, renegotiates his contract, stays with the Jets. He could still be traded in theory, but he's there, a slot receiver. And then you draft Elijah Moore, a slot receiver. So I don't know how the targets ultimately end up being distributed at least early on, but my money is on Elijah Moore emerging as the season goes on. They pick him early day two, just like last year. So last year, Joe Burrow went first overall. Then the first pick on day two, T. Higgins. So you pair him up with a wide receiver. This year, Zach Wilson goes second overall. The second pick on day two, Elijah Moore. Pairing him up with a wide receiver. This kid has drawn Steve Smith comparisons, and for good reason, because he is undersized but nasty. Plays bigger than his size, run after catch, can go up make plays above the rim. But like I said, he may be relegated to primarily just a slot role. Does put a little cap on his upside. And I don't think he surfaces as anything more than like he'll have a good game and then he'll kind of go back, you know, into the woodwork for a little bit during the course of the season. Certainly the juice is there, the upside's there, but not for season long fantasy football outside of like a late round dart. That's all I'm doing with him. Best ball, yes. Uh, DFS, if we pick the right week, there's obviously tons of potential there. Uh, after that, I, I do think Keelan Cole, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims are all going to see targets. There's no value to any of them for fantasy purposes. So really, it's Davis and then maybe a dart on Elijah Moore. Chris Herndon, we're not going to go down this one again, are we? He's not even a 3-for-32 guy. He's like a 2-for-25 guy for me. I have had 38 catches, so that's slightly more than two per game. 406 yards three touchdowns. So 20, 28th among tight ends, not viable in uh, most fantasy football leagues. Where we do have an interesting place to take a shot is in this backfield. I had somebody ask me the other day on Twitter, is Tevin Coleman being underrated? And my response was, no, he's being perfectly rated. <laughs> he, he does not deserve us to say, you know what, Tevin Coleman flying under the radar. No, nope, that radar picked him up. Uh, he's He's been identified, and we know exactly what he is. Uh, he is essentially, at this point, an older running back. He is now 28 years old, turned 28 back in April. And he's a guy who really hasn't shown much of anything for a few years. You know, last year was certainly a disappointment uh, because of him being banged up for a good chunk of the season. The year before that, I mean, the year before that, he averaged four yards per carry in San Francisco, where everybody rips off long runs. So really, we're we're basing Tevin Coleman evaluations on 2018 when he was 25 years old. Even then, was he really that good? No. So no, not underrating him. Are we underrating LaMichael P. Ryan or Ty Johnson? No. The player we need to be paying attention to is Michael Carter out of North Carolina. And 
a kid who put up 1,000 yards in each of the last two years despite splitting the backfield with Javante Williams. Now, Carter is another one, though. He's a classic rookie running back in that, are we going to see a lot of Michael Carter in September? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not in October either. But second half of the season, the cream rises, and he already is the best running back in this backfield. He's not a veteran like any of the other guys in this backfield, so that's why I say it could take some time. But if you are prone to punting your second running back spot in drafts this year, which I think is a really interesting approach that could be very good this year, he's an optimal target in the middle rounds. He's not going to be there in round 10. Like, Michael Carter is going to go in when fantasy drafts roll around in August, sixth round, seventh round. He's not he's not going to be around forever. But going after him, you get an Austin Eckler-like skill set. He's an undersized back, sure. but And he's not going to be a true, like, 250-carry type guy, like I talked about with Saquon Barkley yesterday. He's not Saquon Barkley. But he could be a 150 to 200 carry guy. He could be a 50 catch guy in the long term. This year, here's the projection. 152 because I'm giving Coleman carries. 132 to Coleman. 152 to Carter. 641 and 4 on the ground. 36 catches, which is a solid number. 265 and a touchdown. That's RB3 territory. Right now, I have him ranked at RB30. But keep in mind that that is also including a beginning of the season where he probably doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. So RB30 on the full season, but down the stretch, RB2 territory. I like me some Michael Carter. I'm going to be going after him because there's opportunity on this depth chart. It's exciting. I'm encouraged. I hope they take a step forward here because there's a lot of interesting pieces on this Jets depth chart. All right, up next, we are going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, as my Philly friends call them. Uh, that'll be tomorrow on the podcast. Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, Nick Sirianni. Let's do it, baby. At Jeff Ratcliffe on Twitter, at Jeff Ratcliffe on Instagram. FTNFantasy.com. Go check it out. Use the promo code RATPACK to get yourself 20% off. That goes away tomorrow, so use it now. I'll catch you on the flip side. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out.